Hey there, welcome to Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. I'm Pete Townsend, your co-host of Money Never Sleeps, along with Owen Fitzgerald. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by PAT Fintech, the training partner that demystifies fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. This week, for the final episode of 2020, Owen and I dig into a few big ideas and looking into the rearview mirror and deep into the crystal ball of the next frontier of money. 2020 was such a maniacally strange year, to say the least, and we're glad to be saying see ya to 2020 and what's up to 2021 on this week's episode of Money Never Sleeps. Money never sleeps, pal. Here we go again. This is cold open, bro. We're just going to dig right into it. How you doing? <laughs> Good, yeah, good. Relaxing. Yeah, it sounds Pretty like good. It. nice Christmas. The, the, the tone in your voice yeah. sounds like you are chilled out. I am, I am. I've been off for a week. It's, it's flown by. I haven't even thought about work once. It's great. Yeah, and uh, just so all our listeners know out there, Owen is sporting his Amber Vision glasses. Sorry, they're not Amber Vision. What are they called? Blue light glasses. Yes, Blue by glasses. a company named Kulu, C O O L O O, which were a Christmas present for my wonderful wife. They're really good. Yeah, I, I would almost get them just because it's so close to Coolio, you know, Gangster's yeah. Paradise. That's what I, that's what I, that's what I thought as yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. Looking cool. Yeah, it's been a pretty insane Christmas. Not insane, but insanely downtime type Christmas, which just generally I've never had before, which has been great. Even yeah, same. Even now, you know, with kids for the past, geez, ten years now, each year still had been a little bit less insane than the year before in terms of what you get up to around Christmas time. And it's just been uh, extremely quiet, which is good. You know, with my bad foot, been able to rehab that, which has been good. But looking forward to to hopefully getting out and about more often in 2021 than we ever did in 2020 before, right? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Not for the next month anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know. So for, for all of our listeners outside of Ireland, we just had our announcement tonight that we were go back into level five lockdown, I think from tomorrow. So we will be, uh, we can't stray any more than five kilometers from our place of residence, which I I haven't been going very far anyway, but you know. Neither have I. I know. Gets me to the shops. That's it. Yeah, that's all you need. All right. Well, I think we're going to do a bit of a retrospective tonight. And yes, it is 9, 11 p.m. again, which, you know, okay, we're (laughs) we're past that (laughs) in terms of what that means. But We'll do a bit of a ret- retrospective, and then we're going to look at some big ideas looking ahead in terms of the next frontier of money and where we think all of this is going to do- go. After all, we started all this two and a half years ago on the basis of our shared love of fintech, so let's keep going in that direction. But I think so many other influences have come into the way we talk about things for the last couple of years that yeah. we, we can get a bit more expansive here this evening, which I think we definitely will do. So let's start right off with a big question for you. What has been your biggest surprise for 2020? Yeah, I was thinking about this one today because obviously we were talking in the last couple of days, you know, what we discussed tonight. There's the obvious ones and I don't want to like go over, you know, the pandemic, any of that sort of stuff. To me, the biggest surprise has been, I think, my view maybe of value, if you want to call it that. Maybe that's not the right way to describe it. I was thinking about it today and you know, one thing that struck me, it had a big impact on me when I was younger, when I was in kind of, I think it was second year in university, I was studying entrepreneurship and we had a case study. It was actually a case study about hostile world. We just didn't realize it at the time. 
and I was talking about the company, uh, sale of the company and what it was going to be worth. And I had put together a value on it or we had decided as a group the value. And, you know, it, it, my lecturer said something that's kind of stuck with me since then, which I completely disagreed with at the time, but like makes sense. And now that I see it in hindsight was that obviously something is worth what someone will pay for it. So I think to me, the biggest surprise this year from my point of view has that it's that the stock market, Bitcoin, all of these things that because some of those things have become even more kind of front of mind or become more aware of them over the past year than I maybe would have been, particularly in the stock market, like just ridiculous valuations on Tesla stock and other things. I, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day with my usual favorite, Scott Galloway. He's talking about Tesla stock and how the, now as a business, it's worth more than the all of the combined uh, market capitalizations of all of the other automotive companies. Wow. You know, General Motors, Chrysler, whoever else. Yeah. And yet it only produced something like 400,000 uh, cars. And I couldn't, uh, it, it's it's that, it's that kind of idea of value, you know, what drives the value of a business, that. And then similarly, Bitcoin, it's up past, uh, what is it, past 20 grand now or something? It's I'm approaching sure you know, 30, the, the it's approaching 30,000. Approaching 30,000. And again, like it makes no sense. You know, it, it, if you look at it from one point of view, there's nothing driving that. Oh, there, oh, there is. Exactly speculative. <laughs> Other than speculation, well, well <laughs> it's scarcity. It, it, no, scarcity is a big thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But that—that's the big thing for me. And there's some deep insights I've got some from some good friends on this. Yeah, but it, so so I suppose what I'm saying is that it, it's those sort of things I think have become more aware. Like what's been driving kind of some of the the stock market and its record highs this year in a pandemic when companies are doing badly. It's you know, it's been a mixture of U.S. stimulus checks and the effect of like, you know, sports gambling being gone and uh, Davy Day Trader and these sort of things. There's been lots of reasons. And obviously the availability of things like uh, Robinhood and kind of online trading apps. And I, I think it's just highlighted because we've been looking at it so much over the course of the year. It's just highlighted like that it's hard to kind of really put a formula on the value of a business it is. or the value of an asset. It is. You know, other than you're very clean, you know, whether it's a property one or something like that. Well, I remember back, and we might've talked about this before, Owen, about 20 years ago, even a little bit before that, maybe 21, 22 years ago, when I was at Fidelity in the pricing pit with Neil Ryan, who I'm going to talk to later on tonight on Zoom, shout out to Neil Ryan. And we would be watching CNBC all day long right, as to, to watch what was going on in the market so that when these securities needed to be priced, that we knew everything that could possibly impact those prices, those securities. And I remember on Squawk Box on CNBC, which still goes, I think, the guys were talking about the difference between old economy stocks and new economy stocks. The old economy stocks were the old stalwarts of the, you know, the Dow Jones or the S&P, the new economy were dot coms, right? And what happened? All those companies were being valued on the basis of forward-looking valuations in terms of, well, they're definitely going to be making money someday. The world has changed so much since then. And trying to put a finger on it 21, 22 years ago is just as hard as it is today. But I've yep. got to say with some optimism, some degree of optimism, that the valuations today are probably more justified than they were 22 years ago. Yeah, I think there's probably, especially with the dot-com stuff and like even Tesla, there's a lot of that value tied up in both the brand and what it's been able to do and the quality of the product. You know, it is far and away a very different type of offer to the typical kind of 
car offerings or whatever products being offered by some of their competitors. So there is that, but I suppose it's just, you know, it seems like the idea of kind of fundamentals still doesn't apply. And maybe it didn't, you know, your, your analogies there, right around the kind of old stocks, new stocks sort of thing. I just think it, it feels like it's been brought more to the front this year than any other year, or maybe from my awareness point of view than anything yeah, else. Yeah. It's because we're living and breathing it so much. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that one. I'd say for me, the biggest thing that it's not that I've been surprised about it this year, it's that I've been encouraged and that I've been, uh, oh yeah, that makes sense, but I never would have thought it would have happened this way is just where Stripe is going. Um, Stripe yeah. Treasury, they announced this about a month ago where they're embedding financial services into the platforms that businesses operate on. And they're doing that via API, obviously. And one of the comments from the press release that they did about this was that financial services simply weren't designed for the modern internet, and this is a pain point for businesses today. And just thinking about my own process for my own business, right, where I need to flip back and forth between zero for the accounting software and my banking website, I mean, it's, it's just such a pain in the neck and keeping those two in sync. And because of Brexit, I am losing the automated feed into zero, right? Things just going really? backwards. Yeah. Sure, because sure. zero are not authorized as an alternative information service provider uh, under PSD2 in Ireland, right? So what do wow. I get to do again? I get to go to the Bank of Ireland website. I get to download my transaction history into Microsoft Excel. I get to copy and paste and put a few formulas in to move things around. And then I get to upload it to zero, right? Crazy. Thanks, Brexit, right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> th that wasn't the point. The point was is that embedding Stripe would mean that I don't have to deal with any of that, right? I'm not at that point myself where I would do that, but may maybe I will. We'll see. These services are not yet available to businesses outside of the U.S. But if taking a look at uh, one of the articles that, uh, that did the write-up on this, Silicon Republic back on the 4th of December, it's good insight into that, and I'll put that into the show notes. But you know, like you're saying, I think sitting up and taking notice to it this year, really just that tech is moving so fast, right? Every year that goes by, a new fintech building this year on this year's tech stack will have an advantage over a similar fintech building on last year's tech stack just because of how quickly yeah. it's moving. But that will be a short-lived advantage because next year there'll be someone else coming along that can do things even better and fast because tech is moving so quickly. I was going to say, it's really interesting because we, like I read an absolutely fascinating piece of work. I think it was Packy McCormick did it on Stripe. Um, you know, he did a big kind of detailed write-up on them. And the key bit that came out for me, because actually I copied it out, I sent the article to a client I'm working with, but I the piece I highlighted on was actually, you know, because they were looking to do, well, where do they go next, kind of from their business point of view. And the piece he did, like he did a breakdown on the kind of bull and bear case for Stripe as to, you know, they're not as... They're not as strong in some areas, and that's where you know they face competition and pricing and all those sort of things would be pressure. But actually, what they're doing and what they've been really smart about is that they're growing with their companies, so they're they're targeting companies earlier in their kind of you know trajectory and growing with them. So everything they offer as an additional kind of product suite that comes out is to help a scaling business or an earlier stage company. Yeah, you know, and that. That is that to me is the genius move because they're always working with companies that are growing or that are beginning to grow, you know, and that's where that's where they've differentiated themselves. And every offering you see then comes out, you know, 
even with Stripe Treasury, that's another product offering that suits a company that has gotten to a certain point and then needs to be able to offer that type of product or have that type of solution. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and this strategy of bringing on a bunch of small businesses as customers, right? A bunch of small to medium-sized businesses that need what you do. And because it's so easy to implement, you don't have a big implementation cost in Stripe in order to bring on board these new customers. And those customers go out of business. Well, it's no huge loss. It's all—it's a volume game. It's about getting the transactions. It's about providing them yeah. with, you know, that surprise and delightful service. Beyond it being about the tech stack and about building on this year's tech versus last year's tech, it's also about what's out there in the community, right? It's about those that are yeah. building APIs and the integration tools, those that are building B two B SaaS utilities. Uh, and making it that much easier for your customers to integrate um, with what you've built. I think, it, you know, just looking back again, you know, those that launched between 2010 to 2015 and the advantage they have, like you said, oh, not just about, uh, it's not just about the tech, it's about how they adapt to their customers' needs, right? And how they grow with them. Um, and how they can embed regulation into the very core of the platform in order to meet all these oncoming regulations that th- that they're being exposed to. And, you know, just looking at this in comparison to all those big enterprise software kits that have been out there for 20 years, you yeah. know, came to life way before the global financial crisis. I know those guys. I worked with a bunch of them for years as their customer. And I, you know, quarterly releases. You know, and things like that. And instead of daily releases, yeah. well, you don't even hear about releases because things are just fixed, right? And I know this is a bit of a, you know, unrelated example, but even PodPage that we use, right, for the podcast. Yeah. I was watching as, I think it was last night on Facebook because PodPage opened up uh, a support channel really through Facebook. And okay. the founder, Brendan, he was engaging with a user about something that the user wanted that was would make their lives easier. And he's like, okay, yep, I'll get that spun up over the weekend. It'll be live on Monday, right? And it's yeah. just like it, Huge engaging with users that way rather than pull, pulling together once a year an annual user group to yeah. try to collect customers' interests and putting it into a, a, a backlog that will take three years to, to implement versus overnight, hey, I saw what you wanted on Facebook, I'm going to put that live tomorrow, right? There's such a massive, massive advantage that businesses uh, that have built technology that are serving other businesses today have over those that were building uh, and, you know, came to market 15, 20 years ago even. You know, uh, I don't think it's going to be a swift extinction of these legacy software firms or enterprise software firms as we call it, but I think it's going to be more like death by a thousand APIs, you know? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um there's a tagline for yeah you. yeah exactly but i mean i i'm I, I don't have my head deep enough into this in terms of um implementing you know uh, something like stripe to really be able to say yeah. hand over heart that oh my god this is you know this is a way people need to do business i can't say that um, but i've just been really encouraged by the progress they've made and you know i, I think keep an eye on them they're going to be doing a lot more yeah, definitely. If you think about looking ahead, Owen, to 2020, sorry, 2021. 2021. <laughs> it's going to take me a little while to adjust to that. Yeah. What do you think, whether it be a prediction 
or whether it be something you you think we're going to see more of or less of what do you what do you think looking ahead into your crystal ball yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to my uh new favorite phrase that i i wish i had coined uh the, the idea of a rundle the rundle um the <laughs> the recurring revenue bundle uh because i know you'd sent me on something about revolut as they started their sprawl into insurance business payments um but yeah, it's and it, it's ironic, you know. We kind of fintech came out of this idea of unbundling banks, and now we're effectively in the phase of rebundling products and services. But I think we're on the cusp of that now. We're going to see a lot more of that now, especially from the neo banks. But also, I think even just in the kind of wider, you know, fintech space, financial services space, this idea of grouping together products and subscriptions, I think, is just going to be the way to offer products. It happens already. I mean, there's probably plenty of companies in the general kind of tech space or in the SaaS business that kind of add other subscriptions, other products into their wider offering. But I just think it's going to become far more and more prevalent in the uh, next year in particular. It's going to be the way forward. Like there's, what, 300 plus new neobanks or challenger banks globally now at this stage. I think Sifted.ie uh, did a really good piece on it recently. Uh, but I think the future of those businesses is that there's going to be less of them and those ones will have to offer far more products as part of a kind of one 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 price fits all kind of model. So you heard it here. That's my prediction for next year is more happening in the recurring revenue bundle or rundle space. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And um, Doug Rogers, shout out to Doug, he's a friend and a listener in Pittsburgh. And he sent on to me back at the beginning of the month, you own Tinkoff Rundle on Google search. <laughs> he said, hey, Pete. Yeah. You may want to print this out and put it on the wall next to hitting number 12 on the Ireland podcast charts, which actually went up to number four, uh, and That's across it. the pond, no less. And it was just a snapshot of the Google search in the US, which is you know interesting, of Tinkoff Rundle yeah. and Money Never Sleeps, and that episode where we last talked about the Rundle. We were, we, were, we were number one if you search those two terms together. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I, like I said, so like, and we talked about it before, like Tinkoff is the, is the first one actively doing it, you know, and it's not just bundling financial services. They were doing, they were adding in streaming and the equivalent of Amazon and Netflix into that. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. You'll see partnerships announced with, be it a Netflix or an Amazon or whoever, whereby those companies are offering that as part of it. Because actually I've seen, what is probably the kind of early stage building of that, you know, um, my Revolut are trying to get me to tag certain payments that come out of my account, you know, is this a subscription? The idea being that obviously they'll be identifying bills and different things to make suggestions, but also probably looking to bundle those subscriptions together and see if they can identify, you know, who are the most common maybe subscriptions that people are paying for with their account and we should go and talk to that company and partner with them so that, you know, you're getting this as part of a wider offer. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I, we, I've seen a bit more chatter about this as well on Twitter from a few folks since, um, you know, just really in the last couple of months. And one of the things that I saw in the A16Z kind of recap of FinTech of 2020 and looking forward to 2021 was just a simple statement of, would you like insurance with that, right? Which is exactly. a bundling of services, right? Uh, and yep. Revolut have started to do that. And I lived and breathed insurance fintech or insurtech. Jesus, for the fourth quarter the of 2020 month. with a big project <laughs> that I was working on for a third level institution here in Ireland. And I won't get into that, uh, but it was an amazing project where I learned so much on. And just seeing how adjacent 
other financial services players are to insurance and vice versa. I mean, this is yeah. something that uh, that can really take off. Um, you know, so a bank account next to a car loan, next to a car purchase, next to ins- car insurance, uh, next to yeah. insurance for your home and contents insurance for the skis that you keep in your house, but then you put on the roof of your car to go to bail, right? Or whatever. Yeah. But, f- but for, for one price. Yep. You know? Yep. And then the, it's, you, you know, you have your premium subscription, you have your mid-range one, you have your lower tier one. Kind of what you're paying now for Revolut, but like all I get is a fancy card, you know? Guarantee six months time, I'll be able to get multiple kind of products with that. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by PAT Fintech demystifying fintech and digital finance for financial services professionals. PAT Fintech enable financial services professionals to transform their capabilities into the digital age with dedicated virtual training programs geared towards those that can develop, deliver, and monitor optimally customized user experiences balanced by appropriate governance, control, and oversight. To learn more about PAT Fintech, go to moneyneversleeps.ie slash PAT Fintech. On Bitcoin, going past 20K, it was funny, Colin Platt, he's a pal, and he said uh, something back before Bitcoin hit 20K, uh, it was about 10 days ago now, whenever it was, and it was something to the effect of, don't you all know that Bitcoin is pre-programmed to crash once it gets close to 20,000? And, you know, tongue in cheek, and then we watched, I think it was, was it actually the 23rd? of December at 1.45 p.m. GMT. I can remember that. I watched it cross over at that point. Uh, and it did go up over 20K. So Collins' pre-programmed Bitcoin was just obviously a joke. Anyway, it's now headed straight for 30K. All of this has got me thinking. Like we just mentioned, you know, we saw something the first time around with stock prices and the different interpretations of that. Um, going back 22 years ago, but just three years ago, obviously, we saw a similar drive of Bitcoin towards 20K. Are things really that much different now? Yes, I think they are. We saw a lot happen this year with MicroStrategy, the US company that we're buying in, and we're talking about hundreds of millions that they're putting into Bitcoin. PayPal being one of the buyers of uh, a lot of the newly issued Bitcoin, Square getting into that in a big way. I think a number of investment managers have sat up and taken notice and have made statements and and put their money where their mouth is and are buying, right? And an, another thing that Colin Platt shared with me, and it was on Twitter, and I forget who said it. I think he was just relaying this, but it was basically Bitcoin will either go to zero or it won't. And if it doesn't go to zero, it will gradually increase in price over time due to its scarcity. And that was something that kind of stood out to me as saying, well, there, there are yeah. a, a, probably a bunch of folks out there who think that it is worthless and that it will go to zero, but there's a lot more that uh, there are more, you know, buyers and sellers. And that's, you know, one of the simple reasons that, that prices go up. So that to me was kind of a a big thing for 2020, but also got me really thinking about the future we've talked about this a little bit in the past, Owen, and about kind of said the textbooks that my kids will be reading in the year 2035 about economics will be different than the ones that I read in the 1990s, 
right? Uh, they're in the di- one different than what kids are reading today uh, in colleges. Yeah. And so I actually wrote this down to try to get my head around it on my little notepad here that I rarely use unless I'm doing some scribbling. And it went like this, and this is just one example. I'm going to try to keep it very simple and that realizing there are a bunch of other variables here. But let's just take the case, the US dollar, right? Relative to other currencies goes down, import prices go up, right? In the USA, uh, as the dollars that importers receive is worth less or are worth less relative to their own currency, right? So one option when the USD relative to other currencies goes down, and import prices go, are going up, is that the Fed can increase interest rates to make the USD more attractive for lenders, right? So the USD increases in value with more demand to buy dollars, right? Because there's demand to buy dollars in order to invest to get the higher interest rates, right? So it's that interplay between exchange rates, imports, and uh, interest rates, and central bank monetary policy, okay? So without boring everybody to death, at what point does the buying of Bitcoin and the selling of USD, because people are buying more Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, start to mess with that formula and start to mess with those macroeconomic principles and central bank policy that have been operating for a very long time, right? That is the big thing for me is that the more and more money that's being pushed into the crypto economy, where you don't have all of these same variables for supply and demand, for obviously interest rates, for exchange rates, for taxation, for all of these, uh, for money printing, money supply, all these different variables that go into um, you know, how economies work. At what point in the future are these textbooks going to change? That's my big thought for, for 2021 that I'm gonna be keeping an eye on. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? It's an interesting one because obviously we talked about uh, Bitcoin a while back, and I'm kind of following it more and more. And you know, we mentioned before Anthony Pompliano, and he's kind of listening to him kind of talk about it and talking about you know, from an asset point of view, if you were to put one percent of your wealth into it, it's you know, it's a smart move. It's money that you can afford to just kind of put at risk on something that will likely just continue to go up and up. That makes total sense from a kind of portfolio point of view. Absolutely. And it was a really good, uh, actually, yeah, on the, the Prof G show, not this week, previous week, he had on the MicroStrategy guy. Yeah. And actually, he was talking about it in detail. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, keeping his money in US dollars or keeping it in a bank account was costing him, like, we've got to cost him 15% or whatever over the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, that was the reasoning behind it. You know, they did, they did a lot of work on it and said that, well, look, put it into this, which will likely just continue to go up and, you know, they're not losing money in the same way. And if it just sits there, it's not going to be worth less money, that sort of thing. So it made total sense. But like fundamentally, it's still from an asset point of view. It's just another asset that they're deciding to put their money into. I don't think it's, I don't think what's happening with Bitcoin will, is maybe doing what, you know, Satoshi set out for it to be, all those years ago in his white paper and stuff. And look, I'm not, I'm not far from the expert. I'm probably even uh, looking at this in the wrong way. Do I think it's going to replace, you know, is, is it a currency? Can you call it a currency as a comparable to the US dollar? No, I don't think it does that. I don't think that's, that's what it does. What I think it's doing is it's making it far more normal 
so that's something else you know the textbooks in 2035 when our kids are in school they're going to be talking about some other form of digital either currency whether it's the likes of a libra and what that's set out to be some sort of you know digital currency that you can use within a kind of closed ecosystem whether that's even just within a large grouping a group of kind of uh, companies or products or whatever it is i think what it'll do is it'll allow that to happen and become more normal yeah yeah i mean i i i think bitcoin will will is here to stay i'm not sure what its usage will be but if you think about it the more and more it's not necessarily stockpiling a bitcoin but it is yeah. the more that it becomes an asset that is normal to own, the less and yeah. less that you think about how many hoops you have to jump through in order to use it to buy things or to receive yeah. it when you're selling something, a real world asset, a, you know, a brand new Sonos speaker, whatever, right? Which yeah. I still I still want to get one, um, <laughs> but it, it's it's really about. Is it an asset that you hold? Is it an asset that your business holds that you have an inventory of that you can use for things? I think the original vision of Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper was peer-to-peer electronic cash, right? And that peer-to-peer can be individuals like you and me or it can be businesses. And whether that is an example of the next frontier of money um, or whether it may become a major currency, I don't know. But... I think what's happened and what I think a lot of folks would would point to would say what's happened is that Libra, now DM, scared the pants off a lot of central banks and said, we better get our act together with digital currency, right? And there's a number of different projects going on with that the world over right now. And that, you know, the Chinese are pushing the envelope uh, the the quickest with regards to digital currency. So I think we'll see that become a thing there first, but there's still going to be this ability for a central bank, if they issue digital currency, to print money effectively. They're just printing it digitally, right? Or issuing it digitally, right? They're saying that the, these $2,000 checks that are being debated about whether they come out of the US or not as part of the COVID relief package, that, well, if there was a digital US dollar that everyone could just be issued $2,000 or $600, depending upon what's going to come out of this bill, into their digital wallet, yeah. right? Which, it, But they're still printing money in order to do that, yeah. right? So, you know, there's... And that's that's the thing. Like, has it changed it that much or has it just changed the mechanism? You know, and like, has it just became made it more normal to, to, to transact in that way? Maybe that's it. Maybe all of the advancement with bitcoin like because i you know the thing that strikes me over this year even from my own personal point of view is that by using revolut i'm now able to trade stocks which i never did before mm-hmm. because i wasn't able to so adding bitcoin to that then just is another thing that i'm able to kind of trade or use as a form of accessing cap cash or whatever you know and i think i think by just making all of that more normal then it allows for the easier kind of next step to be that kind of, you know, whether the government or the central bank or whoever is issuing you digital money into your digital wallet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I do think we have a long way to go, though, right? Just to quote, yeah. quote Greg Chu from QPQ. He said something to the effect of the Bitcoin blockchain is like the 1882 Daimler engine, right? <laughs> if you were to think about uh, the potential of where distributed ledger technology uh, is going or, or it will go. Yeah. And, you know, Will the Bitcoin instance of digital money 
be the one that rules the world? I don't know. No, um, I don't think so. I think there's there's better things to come. And that's the big yeah. optimism that I have uh, for looking ahead because there's there's so much more that can be done with this. And that's kind of like almost taking what I said about, you know, fintech and building on the 2015 tech stack, you know, versus building on the 2005 tech stack. The 2015, you know, starter has a lot more of a leg up. Um, those that are building digital money now, um, although it will take a longer, uh, well, it may take a while to get, uh, to get to market the tech that they have available to them now versus the tech on which Bitcoin was originally built in 2008, 2009. It's, um, it's, it's different, but yeah, I'm, ca- I'm counting on you to tell me what the next one is going to be because Bitcoin is now too expensive for me to buy to, you know, to buy much of. Well, it's so fractionalized, man. T- You're buying it Satoshi. I'm counting on you. T- I know. I bought, I bought my 20 euro worth of it like six months ago and I sold it for 23 and I was delighted. Yeah. I'm like, great. But like, I want, you know, I want 20 grand's worth of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I need you to tell me what the, what the next thing will be so I can buy it for peanuts. <laughs> Dude, you're, you're not going to hear so, it from me. You know, I, I hold BTC, I hold ETH. That's I'm it. Count, count, counting on you, please. That's it. Um, well, it, what, what, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. But um, yeah, I, do. I do. I do have some restrictions on what I can and cannot say in this space, as you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that. So that's that's you know, looking to the future with some incredible optimism here, um, in the face of yeah. like you said, this global pandemic. That hopefully, now that this vaccine is becoming available, will hopefully be a thing of the past. That by the time we get halfway through 2021, we won't be talking about a whole heck of a lot. Um, in the same way, well, we might be face face to face the next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and hopefully, in the, oh, now I'm not even going to give that doofus in the White House any airtime with with a comment here about <laughs> looking backwards in six months from now yeah. on him. Anything else that you wanted to point out or highlight for this year or looking ahead? One interesting one, which we'd kind of been tracking, I saw in India that WhatsApp are going to start rolling offering insurance and other products. Interesting. financial services products. I, I must root out the article. It was in the like India Economic Times or whatever the newspaper was. I came across it and I thought, you know, that that's where we thought it was going to go. And that was going to be the market. So that idea of being able to offer multiple products within that kind of closed environment or whatever, that could be an interesting one to watch. Absolutely. Uh, and the thing I love yeah. about India, besides the food, is the fact that they, they've been pushing the envelope in terms of digital ID. Yeah. I think, and, and yeah, getting everybody onto a common system for identity, which makes onboarding folks to digital financial services a heck of a lot easier. Nice. Anyway. Yeah, so that's a, that one I just I saw that last week. Like I said, I haven't been paying. I've been relaxing this past week. Uh, th- this actually, this chat tonight has kind of shaken the rust off a little bit. But I did come across that one on WhatsApp that made me kind of pay attention to it. Um, I'll send it on to you if I can find it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely do that. Do that. I you know, just while we're uh, while we're on it, just wanted to say, say thanks to all our sponsors, past and present. Yes, especially most currently, uh, Andrew Quinn and the good folks at PAT FinDeck and Professional Accountancy Training. Uh, but also a shout out to Paul Smith and Laura Smith for all of their support earlier this year and in years past as well. Um, so thanks to those two folks from Top Tier Recruitment. And I was going to do a long list of a shout out to all the folks I worked <laughs> with this year, but man, that's one. It's a long list, which is a good thing. It's a long list. Two, yeah. man, some of that's just confidential. So I'm not going to do that. 
Same, same. We'll just say thank, thanks to everyone we've worked uh, with this absolutely. year. Absolutely. I, I have had all such the, all the listeners. I have had such yeah. a joy working with startup founders this year. Finally yeah. found a formula to work with them on a consistent basis in a way that delivers value and basically gets them into fighting shape for raising their seed round, for getting their product to market, and to getting customers, right? So again, it's just been such a joy and seeing all the energy that that startup founders in Ireland and beyond are putting into this because working with, a, with a, yeah. uh, one in the UK and one in the US right now as well, so... Yeah, and we got we got some hopefully some big things planned for next year. I think so. I think in some way, in think I think in some ways the pandemic hasn't massively had an impact on kind of where we were going with things. Uh, no, you, we won't give any we won't give anything away just yet. But there's a few things in the pipeline. No, you're you're popping but, out the newsletter still, which has been great. Yes, I took for anyone that's noticed, I've taken a break for Christmas. Yes, uh, but it'll be back out. Uh, the, Maybe next week. We'll see how much I can get around to it. With, now with the kids being on lockdown and not in school, I may not get one out next week, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, see what I can do. But yeah, I really enjoyed that. Actually, really enjoyed the feedback from it, which was great. Get a lot of great feedback from it. Enjoy writing it. Enjoy kind of getting your views on it. Finding the random articles to include in it. Yeah, so really, really enjoying that, actually. Yeah. It, it keeps, keeps, keeps me focused. It keeps it between... The weekly podcast, when I get a chance to be on them every week, and the newsletter keeps me kind of focused on, you know, make timelines and making sure I have stuff done, written up, and kind of getting my thoughts together around some of the stuff I'm working on. So yeah. I've enjoyed it from that point of view. Yeah. And I think we're looking as well for next year. Again, without giving too much away, I got a couple of two-parters already in the works. Yes. Uh, so, you know, two-part episodes here for to keep some common trends and themes going uh, with either the same yeah. guest or same topic from from one episode to the next. So. Um, we're going to be working on that, but yeah, keep going in the same direction. Keep getting as many founders we can on for interesting conversations and then just have the interesting conversations ourselves. That's it. All right. Well, we'll cut it there, bro. Yep. Happy new year. Happy new year to you. Enjoy (laughs) to all the the listeners of the holiday season. (laughs) Yeah, you too. And, uh, all the best for a happy, healthy, and ambitiously prosperous 2021. That does it for this year, folks. Thanks for listening to us try to figure out why the world does what it does. The links for the stories we covered are in the show notes for this episode on moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Also, you can subscribe to our Money Never Sleeps newsletter at moneyneversleeps.substack.com. If you're enjoying Money Never Sleeps and want to see it continue, make sure you hop on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. And don't forget Conan Brophy from Create Sound. He mixes and edits each episode for us and is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I help startups get their products to market, get customers, and finance their vision. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or at norioventures.com. And you can follow Owen Fitzgerald on Twitter at owenfitzgerald9. Finally, till next year, thanks for listening. See ya! Money never sleeps, pal.